you have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. Hello, fellow patriots and freedom fighters. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 5 Radio. This is the inaugural, the very first episode of Liberty Lighthouse to be on Mojo 5 Radio. I am Peter Seraphine, your host, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm proud. I love the Mojo 5 Radio. Uh, I listen to several of the shows, so to be joining the group, makes me uh well, it makes me feel good about what I'm doing so uh, I hope you enjoy the show for today's show for the very first episode of the Liberty Lighthouse to be on Mojo 50 radio you know I was thinking maybe just maybe I should pick a topic that's not terribly controversial something that will let me fly under the radar not upset a whole lot of people just kind of ease into my new spot on the network So what did I come up with? How about systemic racism? Because who doesn't want to listen to a middle-aged white guy talk about systemic racism? Doesn't that sound like fun? I think it does. So let's just, you know, kick it off and get started. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Serafine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. That's right. Call or text the Liberty Lighthouse and I, well, I might just use your uh, voicemail on a future episode. I love to hear the questions, comments, and concerns from my listeners, and I try to address as many of them as I can in the future. Before we actually start the show, I guess, you know, got all this mojo people listening, never heard of me before, maybe never heard of my show before, so let me tell you a little about me and uh, and what we're doing here. The Liberty Lighthouse is my brainchild. It is how I continue to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I swore an oath on December 31st, 1990 to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, isn't that a fun way to spend your New Year's Eve? I spent the New Year's Eve when I was 18 years old at the Military Entrance Processing Center. But anyway, so I'm a Navy veteran from the first Gulf War, signed up 15 days before Saddam Hussein's get-out-of-Kuwait deadline. So I joined the Navy knowing full good and well that the United States was about to go to war. I served my tour in the Navy, and then I went uh, in the civilian world, went into the hospitality industry, spent most of my adult life in hospitality management, specifically restaurants and food service management, a little bit of time as food and beverage director at a hotel, a little bit of time as the nutrition services manager at a nursing home, and then uh, I decided I was tired of management. I got tired of all those phone calls on vacation never being able to just go away and give it up for any amount of time. Long hours, lots of phone calls, gave it all up, 
and now I'm a mailman. I'm a mailman who believes in the Second Amendment. So I guess I'm a mailman with guns. And given my name is Peter, and I work for the Postal Service, I, uh, I might just adopt the stage name of Postal Pete. What do you think? You tell me whether or not you think that's a good idea, or should I just stay Pete Seraphine? Call 64MyRights, or text, either one, and uh, let me know what you think. Now, the way that we do things here at the Liberty Lighthouse, generally speaking, most of the time, I talk about one topic for the entire show. I try to get in-depth. I talk about common sense and logic and reason around said topic. Now, there are some times where it's only half the show, and there are every now and then I'll do a show where I just talk about news headlines. I don't do that often. Usually I, I have a topic, and I spend the whole show talking about that topic. So this week, what's the topic again? Systemic racism. And we've all heard that phrase a lot lately. As a matter of fact, we've heard that phrase in this country Well, as long as I've been alive, it was used by the Black Panthers. It was used by the Weather Underground. It was, it's been used, you know, by a lot of people. And currently it's being used by Black Lives Matter. So what does it really mean? I don't think most of the people that use the phrase really know what it means. So I think we should probably start our topic, start our talk on systemic racism by looking at it. In the dictionary. So racism, pretty sure we all know what racism is, right? Racism, according to dictionary.com, is the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially to distinguish them as either inferior or superior to the other races. So you can be a racist by saying that you know, white people are the best. You can be a racist by saying that white people are the worst. You can be a racist if you think that black people are super smart, or you can be a racist if you think they're super stupid. It goes both ways. Racism is not necessarily pointing at the bad qualities of the other side or other races. Racism is basically anytime you take an entire group of people and a apply any generalized characteristic to all of those people because we all know that that doesn't work stereotypes are stereotypes you know for a reason but they do not necessarily qual- uh, apply to everyone in the group that's a little extreme the part that i think most people get wrong is the word systemic so what does dictionary.com say about the word systemic Systemic is relating to a system, duh, especially as opposed to a particular part, meaning that if you say systemic, it has everything to do with that system, not necessarily just a part of that system. So when people say America is systemically racist, they are saying that our government is systemically racist, that our society is, system- is racist. That every, everything around us is racist. Now, I find that hard to believe. And because I find that hard to believe, we're going to spend most of today trying to debunk 
the whole systemic idea around racism. I don't think there's a person in the world that would deny racism does exist. Really. I don't think anybody could deny that. Racism, unfortunately, is part of a, our human condition. As long as people are people, there will be racists in the bunch. And with 7 billion people on the planet, there's going to be a lot of racists. It kind of goes with the whole police force thing. With, was it 800,000 police officers? Yeah, there's going to be racists in the bunch. That doesn't mean that the police department is systemically racist, because in order to be systemically racist, then it has to be coming from the top down. But I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself here. Maybe we should start out here finding out, you know, who really thinks that there is systemic racism? Would, say, a presidential candidate believe that America is systemically racist, you know, to the core? Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? Absolutely. But it's not just in law enforcement, it's across the board. It's in housing, it's in education, it's in everything we do. It's real, it's genuine, it's serious. That, of course, was Joe Biden. And when he was asked if there was systemic racism in the police force, one tiny system, the police force, he said, absolutely, and not just there, everywhere. This is a man running for the United States presidency. And he thinks that the government that he's worked for for nearly 50 years now is racist. But he hasn't really done a whole lot about it until now. Okay, so anyway, digress. Sorry. So racism really does exist, and it's in everything. And oh my God, we have to fix it. All right. I like history. I hope you like history, too, because we're going to talk about some history now. One of the ideas that the left side of the political aisle puts forth is that America is absolutely founded in racism, specifically uh, that America was founded in 1619, as the 1619 Project from the New York Times claims. says that 1619, the year the first African slaves arrived in America, that that was the true founding of our country. Uh, no, that's not only wrong, that's false, uh, that, that, that's misleading, entirely misleading, because obviously we were not a nation until we declared independence from Great Britain. Anything that happened prior to the Declaration of Independence in 1776 wasn't us. That was British colonies. Prior to that, it was Native Americans. So you can't hold the United States responsible for what happened prior to 1776. You just can't do it. And if you're going to try to use that whole logic, well, you know, using that logic, how many times throughout history has Europe been conquered and ruled by different groups? I mean, at one point, the Persians almost took over all of Europe. And then you had the, the Greeks and the Romans who had 
huge controlling shares over Europe. But does that mean that the French are responsible for what happened on French soil way back in ancient Rome? So I think right there, the logic of the 1619 project is just, I think we've, we've debunked that. We've thrown that out. Our country started in 1776, period. We are not responsible for anything happened prior to 1776. So I had the honor and the privilege of filling in for uh, Mr. Jeremy Leahy on standing ground on Independence Day, July 4th this year. And I spent, well, pretty much that whole two hours discussing the Declaration of Independence and then independence as, as a ideal and why we should celebrate Independence Day. But one of the things that I talked about in there a little bit was racism. So we're going to uh, recap a little bit of that show right now. So if the United States was founded in 1776, then let's look at that foundational document. The Declaration of Independence, obviously, or I don't know, obviously, uh, written by Thomas Jefferson, I guess I can't say obviously for anything anymore because who knows what is being taught in our schools. So there was the Committee of Five. Thomas Jefferson was appointed to lead the committee, and he was in charge. Thomas Jefferson, even though he owned slaves, he actually wanted us to be a slave-free country. He pushed for several uh, bits to be put into the Declaration of Independence that were both anti-slave and anti-slave trade. And as a matter of fact, on July 3rd, 1776, uh, the, the last draft of the Declaration of Independence was, was presented to the Continental Congress, and it was sent back with 86 edits before it was approved the following day. But what I really want to talk about regarding the Declaration of Independence is, uh, is the fact that Thomas Jefferson was a brilliant statesman, and he borrowed a lot of the language from the Declaration of Independence, from other authors and philosophers. Most notably in this conversation was the uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the inalienable rights given to us by our creator that Thomas Jefferson enshrined in the Declaration of Independence. Well, he stole that, but he did modify it a little. And it's that modification that's the important. He stole it from something written in 1689 by John Locke. And in 1689, when John Locke was defining the natural rights of man, John Locke said that it was life, liberty, and property. Now, Thomas Jefferson changed it from life, liberty, and property to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Why on earth? Would somebody do that? Thomas Jefferson had been unsuccessful in getting anti-slave language into the Declaration of Independence. But what he did do was make it so that the Declaration of Independence could not be used to prolong slavery. By removing the word property, he made it so that the slaveholders couldn't at any point in the future point to the Declaration of Independence and say, slaves are my property. And the Declaration says, life, liberty, and property. You can't outlaw my property. 
you can't take my property. So instead, Thomas Jefferson said, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Now, obviously, slaves didn't have liberty at the time. There were slaves. That's kind of the antithesis of liberty. But he didn't want to perpetuate it and prolong it any longer than he had to. So, that's uh, point number one for 1776, and no, not systemically racist. Because if we were systemically racist, then in 1776, the Declaration of Independence would have had wording in it to prolong slavery and protect slavery as an institution. Instead, the language was changed so that it couldn't be used for that purpose. Point number two from 1776, not all the states had slaves at all. It was, it was actually, I think, less than half of the U.S. states, when they became states, allowed slavery in the first place. So let's look at my home state, the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, founded by Quakers. Slavery has never been legal in Pennsylvania. Well, at least not since it was turned into a British colony. The American Indians would take slaves from conquered tribes. That could have happened before the white people got here. But that So, slavery was not allowed by the white man in Pennsylvania at any point in time in history. So, let's take a little sidebar here and let's talk about reparations. Whenever the idea of reparations comes up, so many questions come to mind. And the first thought, honestly, the first thought that comes to mind is 600,000 Americans, mostly white, died during the Civil War, at the end of which slavery was abolished. So uh, reparations for slavery, uh, 600,000 dead people. That looks like a pretty good reparation to me. Point number two regarding reparations. Uh, my home state of Pennsylvania has never had slaves, so why should anybody who was in Pennsylvania ever have to pay reparations for something that they did not do and was illegal here? Point number three. What about families like mine? My family didn't move to the United States until 1912-ish. We lived in Europe until then. So... Why should I have to pay slavery reparations? I wasn't here. My great-great-granddaddy wasn't here. Point number, I don't know, what are we up to? Four regarding slavery reparations. Uh, what about the black people who owned black slaves? Or what about the white people who were slaves? You know, 1619 may have been the day the first African slaves arrived in America. But there were already slaves here. They were called Irish. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to point out that slavery is not, was not, and has never been a strictly black and white issue. Now, it was largely a black and white issue, but it was not strictly black and white. So the idea of paying reparations, what is this, uh, 210 years or 270 years later? Um, how in the hell? Can you do that fairly? I honestly, I don't think you can. So with that, I think it's a, a good time 
to uh, let's introduce you to a new sponsor before we move on and and jump a few years in history. I think we've wrapped up 1776 pretty well, and let's jump to uh, eh, we're gonna we're gonna jump to the Constitution next. But before that, let's let's talk about a new sponsor. Let me tell you about a new company with values that you can really get behind. Patriot Energy is a new veteran-owned company doing solar the right way. Take advantage of government incentives and and cut your electric bill by 30 to 40% while buying your own system with no money down. Support a veteran-owned company, help the environment, and save money. Go to PatriotEnergyAZ.org slash Mojo50 for an estimate. You have choices when it comes to energy. Let Patriot Energy help you make the right choice for you. PatriotEnergyAZ.org slash Mojo50. Love the idea of that company. Love supporting a veteran-owned company. Myself, obviously, as a veteran, I'm all for that. Um, I... I wish I could call them myself, but unfortunately, my house is uh, its from 1900, and it's rather historic, and to put solar panels on it would, uh, well, it just wouldn't look right in my neighborhood. And, you know, I've done enough in my house that my electric bill's only like 40 bucks a month anyway, so they really wouldn't be saving me a whole lot of money. But most people don't have a $40 electric bill. Most people can benefit from a company like Patriot, Patriot Energy, so uh, yeah. Go check them out. I highly recommend it. So where was I? Hey, wait, you know what? While we're on the house, let's talk about that for a second. Um, my house is a great example of how not all uh, racism was the same everywhere in this country. I live in a little tiny town called Belfont, Belfont, Pennsylvania. Beautiful fountain, if you use the French translation. Belfont was part of the Underground Railroad. We've, we've got at least one building in town where, where it's got, you know, secret compartments where slaves were hidden as they were smuggled north. When I bought this house just a few years ago, I researched the title all the way back to when the house was built. The house was built in 1900, and the title holder at the time was a guy named Messick Graham. So I did some more digging to try to find out who Messick Graham was. Messick Graham was a barber here in Belfont. Actually, he was a master barber and had apprentices and taught barbers. And he was black. And in 1900, just 35 years after slavery ended, a black man built my big, beautiful house. It is, it's like 2,800 square feet, four bedrooms. It is a beautiful old house built by a black man 35 years after slavery in this little town of Belfont, part of the Underground Railroad. So why in the world was Black Lives Matter doing a march through tiny little Belfont a few weeks ago? I wish I had been home. They marched right in front of my house. I wish I had been home. I would have loved to have stuck a microphone in their face and said, why are you marching at Belfont? Do you know the history of this town? Do you know anything about it? Do you know what you're marching for? But I wasn't here, so I couldn't do that. All right. Back on point. Where were we? We were talking history. We started in 1776. Uh, I think we finished that. We're jumping forward 11 years later. The United States Constitution. 
a lot of people think that the three-fifths rule that was in the compromise, um, that was in the Constitution, the three-fifths compromise about counting slaves as three-fifths of a person in the census, a lot of people think that was horribly racist. But in reality, that was one of the best things that could have happened to the abolitionist movement at the time. That three-fifths compromise kept the southern slaveholding states from gaining even more power in Congress. And we'll explain a little bit more after we come back from the Mojo 5.0 radio break. Got to get them some money with these sponsorships. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 5 Radio. And just because this is the first episode of Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 5 I thought maybe you might want a little bit more about me before we get back to the uh, systemic racism and the three-fifths rule, which is where we left off. So, in lieu of my APR coffee this evening, I have myself a nice single malt scotch on the rocks, as you can tell. And uh, so, yeah, I am a tattooed sailor veteran single malt scotch drinking, cigar smoking, you know, guy. But, okay, enough about me. Back to where we were. On We were talking about the three-fifths compromise. The three-fifths compromise in the U.S. Constitution kept the slaveholding states from having a supermajority in the House of Representatives. The three-fifths compromise is one of the things that was done so that slavery could be ended in the future. And a lot of people, and my one of my good friends right across the street from my, he wrote, throws up three-fifths compromise as an argument of, well, I say that the U.S. Constitution is like one of the most perfect documents ever penned by human hands. And he says, oh, so you believe that black people are only three-fifths of a person? So this is the argument for that. Whenever you get that argument, the three-fifths compromise was the best thing that it could have happened. It kept the slaveholding states from having a supermajority in Congress. So where we go next is... Uh, well, we jumped 90 years, actually. There's not a whole lot that happened in the uh, debunking of systemic racism for almost 90 years. And just a little under 90 years, we have the beginning of the Civil War. Now, the Civil War was definitely about slavery. I can't say that it was entirely about slavery. There was a lot of other things going on there. But slavery was a big part of it. And at the end of the Civil War, after 600,000 Americans died, the slaves were free. Then, of course, you know, shortly thereafter, you get Juneteenth when the Emancipation Proclamation was read to the, uh, the people of Texas, which was the last slaveholding state to hear it. And slavery was officially abolished. Now, as far as systemic racism goes, not all the slaves were white. I've said that before. But actually, the Cherokee Nation still owned slaves on Juneteenth when, when 
emancipation proclamation was read to the last state. So the Cherokee Nation, I doubt they had black slaves. I would bet that most of their slaves were other Americans. But the Emancipation Proclamation ended slavery in its entirety regardless of race. Regardless of race. Again, systemic racism is not part of the system. Therefore, the systemic word is wrong. Okay, so 1865, Civil War's over, the Emancipation Proclamation is read, and slavery is done in America. Then five years later, the very first black member of Congress is elected. Five years. Since then, 162 more black members of Congress have been elected. Right now, there are 12% of the House of Representatives is black. So think about this. Systemic racism. So if we were systemically racist, would we allow 12% of the House of Representatives to be black? Oh, but it should be more than 12%. Why should it be more than 12%? I could argue that maybe it should be up to 14%. The black population of the country is 14%. So maybe the House should be 14%. But 2% is pretty darn close. If we were a systemically racist country, we would not have 12% of the members of, of uh, Congress, the members of the House, to be black. But I digress. I'm talking history right now. We're not getting into current stuff yet. Let's go back into history. So the black millionaires, let's talk about income equality. If we are systemically racist, then, of course, income equality comes into play. Well, the first black millionaires in America were documented in the 1840s while we were still a slave-holding nation and we had black millionaires. Then at the same year that the first black member of Congress was elected, 1870, the 15th Amendment was ratified, giving black people the right to vote. Again, non-systemically racist. Then you jump forward uh, another almost 90 years, and you get the, the Civil Rights Act, and then the Voting Rights Act, giving more and more rights to the black people, so that now black people have the same rights as white people by law. Any law that is uh, racially discriminatory is illegal. That's what the 1964 Civil Rights Act does. So, again, systemic racism, meaning the whole system, is debunked by all of these different steps that we've already talked about all throughout the history of our nation. Are there racists? Yes. Will there always be racists? Yes. Is the system racist? No. I've got two clips from Morgan Freeman, famous black actor Morgan Freeman, that I'd like to play. The, uh, the first one, if I remember correctly, is from 2005. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? <laughs> no, well, no, 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 come on. Tell me. Well, uh, I'm Jewish. Okay. 
Which month is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No, I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. Let's pause right there for a second because that's an important point. Black history is American history. So the whole systemically racist thing, it, it's all one history. Anyway, let's let Morgan Freeman continue. He's got another great point. How are we going to get rid of racism? And stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. You understand? Stop talking about it. Have you ever noticed that those that are so anti-racist are the ones that always bring up race? Is that just me? Am I the only one that thinks that? So black history is American history. And stop talking about race. That was from 2005. Let's see. Has uh, Morgan Freeman, you know, he's, he's a famous actor. He's part of Hollywood. Has his opinion changed? Can, we, can I go back to Because I, I, I thought what you said was fascinating because you called it bull when you said people can't, you know, pull themselves up. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth dis distribution or either a mindset that you can't Today? or cannot? Yeah. No. You don't? No. I don't. I don't. I, you and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick your, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Uh, it's kind of like religion to me. It's a good excuse for not getting there. A good excuse for not getting there. Okay, so Morgan Freeman thinks that uh, racism really doesn't exist today. I tend to agree with him. But rather than just agree with somebody for whatever they have to say, why don't we look at some of the current uh, statistics? We already said that the House of Representatives is 12% black. And the House of Representatives is actually 22% minority. This is regarding the 116th Congress, the Congress right now. So 22% minority. you have any idea how much of our country qualifies as a majority or minority? 24%. 24% of the nation is minority. 22% of our House of Representatives is minority. That's pretty darn close if you ask me. The Pew Research Center calls the 116th Congress, the, the Congress that we have right now in this country, the most racially and ethnically diverse Congress ever. So why is systemic racism being brought up right now when it's, according to Pew Research, the most racially and ethnically diverse Congress we've ever had? I mean, I think that Congress is like the pinnacle of success. If you get elected to Congress, you've done something. And it's almost, almost mirrors the uh, demographics of the general population of that not enough for you? Well, in 2013, Statista said that 76% of millionaires were Caucasian. Well, that means that 24% of millionaires are not Caucasian. Well, 
according to the U.S. Census, 76% of citizens are Caucasian. So 24% are not. So 24% of our country is not Caucasian, and 24% of our millionaires are not Caucasian. Wow. That sounds like the whole economic uh, holdback or economic chasm between blacks and whites. It sounds like BS to me, according to you know real statistics, real numbers, and a little logic, common sense. But let's keep going. More about right now. According to uh, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 93% of homicides with a black victim were committed by a black perpetrator. And 84% of homicides with a white victim was committed by a white perpetrator. So by and large, people kill people of their own color. That, that doesn't make sense because the news is trying to tell me that White cops are out hunting black men. That doesn't add up. Reality says that black people kill black people and white people kill white people a large majority of the time. Hmm. You know, I mentioned the, the three-fifths rule as a common argument that's, that's given for the, why the, the uh, Constitution is not proves systemic racism. They only counted black people as three-fifths of a person. Or they only counted slaves as three-fifths of a person. Another really, really common argument I hear is over-policing. That we over-police poor black neighborhoods. And why is it about race? Can't you remove the word black from that statement and it still be true? Aren't the police out in the poor neighborhoods, regardless of ethnicity or color of that neighborhood? Poor neighborhoods are where a whole lot of the crime happens. So it makes sense that that's where the police would be. The argument from the other side is that, well, Crime happens elsewhere, but you don't see it because you don't have police there. That you over-police these black neighborhoods because you want to you know, go after black people. I don't think that's the case. I think the fact that the police are in the neighborhoods where the crime happens. And it happens to be in poor neighborhoods. And some poor neighborhoods are largely black. Some poor neighborhoods are largely white. Some poor neighborhoods are largely Latina. Police go where crime is. That's what they do. Oh, well, we don't want that. We don't want the police in our neighborhood. Well, you know the 1994 crime bill that uh, Joe Biden was, was largely responsible for? Like the one accomplishment he's had in the last 45 years in Congress? All right, I'm being a little harsh on Joe Biden. I'm sure he's accomplished more than the 1994 crime bill. Couldn't tell you what that was. I mean, he was vice president, but I, I, other than that, I, 
I have no idea what he's done. Other than flip-flop. He's flip-flopped a lot. He, he goes with the flow. Whatever the party stance is, is where he goes. But anyway, that's completely off topic and digressing. I'm sorry. The 1994 crime bill. Well, the that was a, a in large part a response to the crack cocaine act epidemic. Black people in black neighborhoods wanted help with the crack cocaine problem. One of their complaints was that the white people that got caught selling powder cocaine got bigger sentences than the poor black people that got caught selling the rock cocaine. So a whole lot of black neighborhoods called out to have more policing in their neighborhoods because of this crack cocaine epidemic. And the 1994 crime bill comes around. And then here, you know, you fast forward, what is that, 26 years? And no, we don't want you here anymore. Make up your mind, will you? The point of all of this is, I don't think the police are systemically racist in targeting black neighborhoods. I think the police are policing where crime happens. And crime happens in poor neighborhoods. So, let me tell you. Here's, you know what? If you look for racism, you're going to find it. Or you're going to see it. You're going to make it up in your own head. Because if a white person and a black person interact, you're going to assume that whatever the outcome is, is racist. If you looking that way. There's a whole lot of reasons to not like someone. Skin color really isn't one of them. There's a whole lot of reasons that the outcome may very well have nothing to do with race. I'm going to give you one example in my own personal life. I was working for a small restaurant company that owned, I don't know, six or eight restaurants. And we're right in the heart of Pennsylvania, and to be quite honest, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of black people that live here. At least in that town. And we hired a new corporate level human resources person. We found this person, we liked their resume, we interviewed them, we hired them. It happened to be a black man. And it was a black man from Pittsburgh, I think. I don't know. From a, a while a ways away couple hour drive. So this man takes his family and moves here. And then very shortly after hiring this man, we fire this man. And this man posted on Craigslist about not working for our company and we're racist SOBs. And this man found a lawyer willing to sue us. And the reality is the man was fired because he kept going behind the bar and pouring himself beers during working hours. Yeah, we're, we were a primarily white company, and we fired a black guy. But it had nothing to do with the fact that he was black. We fired him because he was drinking on the job. And unfortunately, there's a whole lot of people that won't look past the color. All they see is racism. 
It's what they want to see every time they turn around. So that brings me to, um, well, a, a public service announcement. You know, now that I got my show up here on the Big Mojo 5 network, you know, networks have rules, and we have to do public service announcements. So here you go. An important message from the party. Racism must be eradicated from the land. Big Brother has determined that racism is the only cause for a person of color to not achieve fame and fortune. The party has declared that standardized testing was born of a racist system and are therefore to be abolished. Mathematics, though invented by brown people, has been taken over by white people and shall no longer be tolerated. Proper grammar is obviously racist therefore is unacceptable. It goes without saying that history is racist. This year's hate week has been extended through November 3rd, and it is to be used to remove all monuments to the past. The party has taken over education, and together with Big Brother, will eliminate racism. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I really like George Orwell. I think 1984 was completely prophetic, and if you read 1984 now and look at our world, you will, if you don't see the correlations, then I don't, I don't know how to help you. They're that obvious. I'm sorry. And I, I like parody, so that was an Orwellian-style parody. I have a, a couple more written that I haven't recorded yet, one that I did a while back that I might use again, but I think it's, it's, well, it's spot on. Racism is a human condition, and the government can't regulate that away. I mean, we, the government can do what the government can do to remove racism from within government. And that was done in 1964. The, the 1964 Civil Rights Act made any racist law illegal. So you have recourse. If you feel that you have been discriminated against, you have recourse. You can sue the people. Isn't that what government's supposed to do? I I don't know what is going on where so many people at the federal level are buying into this systemic racism thing. I don't understand it. What I can tell you is that it's been used in the past, like I said earlier, by the Weather Underground, and it's being used now by BLM. And it's funny, that's not surprising because the founders of BLM claim to be trained Marxist and one of them, if I understand correctly, was trained by the Weather Underground. Um, I also think that it might, um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. And I think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many, many black folk. Don't be fooled. Black lives matter. 
as in black people matter. But the Black Lives Matter movement is a communist movement using black lives as as their their foot in the door. They're using systemic racism and and just the, the cutesy phrase that Black Lives Matter to try to get communism. That was Patrice Cullors, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, admitting that they're communist, or Marxist, as she says. And let's be absolutely, perfectly, 100% clear about this. There is absolutely nothing American about Marxism, communism at all. Our government was set up to be a republic and was specifically set up to never be communist or socialist. And the Black Lives Matter movement is communist by the founders' own admission. Dividing the people into groups, whether it's rich versus poor, proletariat versus bourgeoisie, whether it's black versus white, it doesn't matter. Dividing we the people is a common, repeated, overused communist step. It's one of the ways the communist revolution happens. And as far as I can tell from the BLM website themselves, that's what they want. They don't want Quality for black people. They want superiority for black people from their own website. Again, clarification. Black lives do matter. Black people are people. We're people first. They matter. But the BLM movement, the organization, is communist. And honestly, I don't think they really care about black lives. I honestly think that they are nothing but a group trying to cause communist revolution. But that's my personal opinion. And I, you know, whatever. I don't have documentation to prove that. That's just what I think. So if you want to go back and look, go recap what we talked about today. The changing of, of uh, life, liberty, and property to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Removing the word property from the Declaration of Independence. The founding of our nation so that we did not perpetuate slavery any longer than need be. The three-fifths compromise, which, which prohibited the slave-owning states from getting a huge supermajority in Congress, thereby perpetuating slavery forever. The Civil War, where 600,000 Americans died, and then we had a Slaves were freed at the end. The first black member of Congress in 1870. The right to vote extended to black people in 1870. I think we've proven that our country was not set up, founded on systemic racism, systematic racism, Obviously, there were racists, there were slaveholders. That, that kind of goes to Joe Biden when he said just last week 
No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racists, and they've existed, and they've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. So even lying about whether or not the president is racist, the first racist to become president, that's, that's enough. Like, you can do that. That's okay. You can lie. Forget about the, you know, 12 presidents that owned slaves, eight of which who owned slaves while they were in office. Forget about the president who peed on his driver's shoes because he was black or referred to the Civil Rights Act as that nigger bill. Forget about that. You know, that those aren't racist. Trump's the first racist. Those that want to divide us are willing to do anything to do so. And systemic racism is just the latest lie to use to try to and this has been the Liberty Lighthouse. First time on Mojo 50 Radio. I'm Peter Seraphine. Thank you very much for being here. Until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 My Rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Hi, I'm Peter Seraphine, host of the Liberty Lighthouse on the Mojo 50 Radio Network. I got my start in politics when I got so frustrated with progressive society that I wrote a short book. Progress? Really? My book is a quick look at the past, current, and future state of progressive culture and progressive government. I urge every liberty-loving American to read Progress? Really? Pick up your copy for less than $5 by clicking the Books tab at liberty-lighthouse.com. This Second Amendment moment is brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse at 130 West High Street in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania. When the government was closing businesses, Hunter's Warehouse was open. When ammunition was out of stock everywhere, including online, Hunter's Warehouse had it. With thousands of firearms and truckloads of ammunition in stock, no wonder people drive for hours to visit Hunter's Warehouse. Go to Hunter'sWarehouse.net for all of your Second Amendment needs.